Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. Have you ever thought about donating a kidney? More than 100,000 Americans are waiting for a life-saving organ. Back in 2017, altruistic donors in Connecticut, two women who had no intended recipients, donated their kidneys. Their donations prompted one of the largest kidney chain exchanges in the country. Coming up, we learn more about paired donations or kidney swaps and how medical advances have made it much easier to become a living donor. First, Jeff Curry serves East Hartford, Manchester, and South Windsor in the Connecticut General Assembly. He's in his third term. Before becoming a state lawmaker, he was a member of East Hartford's school board. His mother is Melody Curry, who was also a state legislator, a former East Hartford mayor, and a state commissioner. The Currys are longtime public servants, but now Jeff Curry is asking the public for their help. Representative Jeff Curry joins us now on Zoom. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, We have you on today because uh, you got the news earlier, I believe, or late last year that you are in stage five kidney failure. Can you take us back to that day when you heard the news? How did you react? Yes. So um, one might assume that you one would hear that and and have some sort of a a breakdown of sorts. Uh, But I have been working with a tremendous group of medical providers who essentially set me up to know that this was likely to be the outcome um, of what I was going to be getting myself into. Uh, We had tried over a number of years to curtail the effects of what was happening uh, inside. Um, But uh, unfortunately, nothing was really working. And so yes, we had the biopsy done at the end of December and received the the, uh, diagnosis at the beginning of January and essentially confirmed what we thought was going to be the case. And then the fact that it was something that was not treatable and that this was something that we were going to have to be discussing. Uh, But at that time, uh, we really thought it was about another five to eight years out that I would be actually discussing the kidney transplant options. Um, but unfortunately, over the last few months, things um, deteriorated quite quickly and uh, essentially uh, forced my hand at the end of June to begin the process of uh, working with the kidney transplant team over at Hartford Hospital. So, Jeff, you'd known for some time uh, that you had kidney issues, but you'd said that it seemed to progress so rapidly. Did that surprise you? Uh, Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. Because even though you know something is inevitable, um, knowing you have a little bit more time before you actually have to kind of face the reality of it, um, uh, what was a a bit... uh, um, there was an assurance there that, you know, there was more time to be able to get some stuff done. Um, but knowing that this is not something that's, um, you know, going to uh, worry about to, like ending my life tomorrow, but uh, mm-hmm. is something that has to be addressed uh, as quickly as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about how uh, people can become living donors and the importance of a kidney transplant. But the other option for you, Jeff, would be dialysis. So can you talk a little bit more about that process? 
Yes, so that was one of the options that we discussed, uh, my nephrologist and I. Um, obviously, you know, people, many people know that dialysis um, is somewhat of a disruption to uh, your daily life, is not something that is for everyone. Um, you know, they, they do have different uh, modes of um, dialysis these days, uh, but obviously if that's something that we can avoid, um, we are working towards avoiding that. And so that's why we uh, have been working so hard to truly highlight the Living Donor Program and uh, really helping to get the message out so that folks get over to Hartford Hospital to uh, have, those, have those discussions with the uh, transplant coordinators and um, the Living Donor Team. I mentioned, uh, Jeff, that you're a longtime uh, state lawmaker. You've spent much of your life uh, serving the public. What's it been like now that you've made this very public uh, plea for people to, to, to sign up to become a living kidney donors, to have to ask people um, in this very public way because uh, you know that your health depends on it? Yes, yeah, so it's a very uncomfortable situation. Um, I am not one typically who, who likes to ask for any sort of help when it comes to myself. I will ask all day, every day, if it means helping, uh, you know, a, a neighbor, a, a friend, a family member, a constituent. Um, but um, understanding that this was something that was going to have to be put out into the universe a little bit more on a grand scale, um, there was never a question in my mind that um, I was going to be very fortunate and privileged to be able to use my platform um, and be able to cast such a wide net to so many people, not only throughout the state, but around the country who have taken notice of this um, and have reached out with such amazing words of uh, support and, um, and, and suggestions on, on how to move forward. And it's just been absolutely overwhelming. So, you know, I, I recognize that I'm extremely fortunate in that case. And hopefully, you know, th this isn't, this can't just be about me. And so, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I hope that by helping to get this message out, it really highlights the importance of organ donation uh, in general and, and that folks are truly willing to step up. Um, and, you know, in my case with the kidneys, it, that they're willing to share their spare. <laughs> Share their spare. I like that. Uh, Representative Jeff Curry again. Uh, he serves East Hartford, Manchester, and South Windsor. We're talking to him today because uh, he needs a kidney transplant, and we're uh, focusing on living donors, uh, people who can uh, spare uh, a kidney. You can also give a liver um, if uh, you are a living donor. Uh, we're going to learn more uh, throughout the hour here on Where We Live, uh, but I wanted to bring into the conversation now a member of Representative Curry's uh, team at Hartford Healthcare, uh, helping him uh, in this uh, journey. Uh, C.J. Zenzik is a nurse manager for kidney transplant services at Hartford Hospital. He's joining us by phone. C.J., welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So Representative Curry is just one of many patients at Hartford Hospital that are waiting uh, for a kidney. Can you talk about the wait and typically how long does someone wait before they find uh, whether it's a living donor or someone uh, that's been deceased? Okay, so here at Hartford Hospital, we have about 360 patients currently on our transplant waiting list, and the average waiting time for any of those patients can vary between five to seven years from, from, for getting a deceased donor. Um, in Jeff's case, he's out in the community trying to locate a, a live donor, so living donor transplants happen much quicker, um, and we, we always push our patients to try to find that potential live donor in the community. Uh, when we do identify that live donor, they go through an evaluation very similar to the recipient, 
And once they're cleared by our transplant team, we could actually get them transplanted fairly quickly, um, just maybe even a matter of months compared to years on the waiting list. Five to seven years, that seems like a long time, especially when you're confronted with um, dialysis, which is not a pleasant experience. Can you talk about uh, that um, dialysis and why it's so important for people if they're able to get a, a kidney transplant uh, that they find a match? It is a long time, and our, our patients, you know, our patient population is getting older, and as those patients spend these years on dialysis, it can be very harmful on, on their system. So our goal is to, you know, get these patients transplanted as quickly as possible, um, find them a live donor, or, you know, get them a deceased donor as quickly as possible. This tran the transplant process itself can be, um, the evaluation process can be very lengthy for some patients, and it could take months to get that patient cleared by our transplant team. And then they're looking at another five to seven years on the waiting list at that point. So it can be very daunting, um, and that, that dialysis treatment can put a lot of pressure on that patient uh, physically, mentally, um, not only themselves, but them, their, their families as well. Mm. Uh, when someone uh, is ill, oftentimes they look to uh, relatives uh, uh, to help, maybe uh, to think about signing up and, and donating a kidney. But can you talk about, um, you know, when we think about those people who sign up to be donors, uh, CJ, uh, the compatibility, uh, what, what does a donor need uh, to, in terms of their health uh, to be able to be a successful donor to someone like Representative Curry? So a successful donor, um, it could be a parent, could be a child, husband, wife, friend, coworker, someone in the community that's willing to help this person. Um, they are put through an evaluation, and that evaluation process includes uh, making sure that they're in good physical and mental health, that they don't have uh, a disease that may rule them out as a potential donor, uh, so something like the cancer or diabetes or hepatitis. There, there are diseases that may rule patients out to become a potential donor. So they go through a pretty thorough evaluation. Um, we look at certain things. We uh, want to check their, their physical health, their mental health. They meet with our social worker. We have a, a living donor advocate that will screen them. They meet with a nephrologist. They meet our surgeon. They meet with one of our living donor coordinators, and they are the ones who provide tons of education to these people, uh, making sure that it's safe for them to become a potential donor. In, in most cases, we'll start with some blood work, making sure their, their blood work looks okay, and the, the blood type match is very important. So we have to have a compatible blood type with our donor, um, but there are cases where we don't match with that donor, we can actually use them in a swap type situation down the road. Mm. Again, when people think of organ donation, they're thinking about uh, when uh, they're deceased. But the fact that we have two kidneys and, and we can live with just one, CJ, that's why it makes it so perfect for people to be able to, to spare a kidney if they can. It is. And, and I, I, I tell lots of patients, you know, we, we have to remember that we can live with one kidney. Our, our kidney recipients who are transplanting are going to survive with that one kidney for hopefully many, many years down the road. So part of our job a, lot, a big part of our job is education, making sure these patients are aware that they can donate a kidney, that they can live a healthy life, um, and it's really not going to affect them a bunch. You know, they will have to follow with our team for a certain amount of time. Um, but in reality, it's, 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 one, it's a perfect gift to give to one of your family members, your friends. Um, it's an amazing thing to do. Jeff Curry, I wanted to go back to you. Tell me about your your support network, uh, the the people that you have close to you that are that are helping you again in this quest to find uh, a living donor. It's a lot to take in. 
Yeah, no, and I am very fortunate to have amazing friends and family who have been helping on this. Um, so one of the, the great things is that when this was set up with Harvard Hospital, one of the things that they asked immediately was, um, you know, who is your assigned support person? And they required that person to sit with me during the initial four hour uh, consultation. And due to the fact that we're doing this also in the middle of a public health crisis, we were able to do that through telehealth. Um, which was a, a phenomenal experience and, and still gave me the opportunity to meet with all of the team, the entire team over at Hartford Hospital. Um, but having having my support person, uh, it, her, Val Shear is her name. She's been one of my um, oldest and, and closest friends. Uh, and I, I, I jokingly say, you know, I, I'm known for doing things in a bipartisan fashion. She's actually a Republican member of the Board of Education in, in East Hartford. So true to style, uh, even in my kidney search, and, and I'm, I'm doing that in a bipartisan fashion. Um, but it, it's just been amazing with friends in, you know, in, in media who have been able to do radio interviews and help promote uh, the website we have, which is getjeffakidney.com. Um, friends from out of the came out of the woodwork to offer to throw up decals on their cars for me. So we have a hundred of those coming in that people are going to be driving around the state and throughout the country, actually. Um, so it, it's been very. I've been very, very lucky and uh, to, to have the, the support team that I do behind me on this. I'm glad you mentioned the, the website, getjeffakidney.com, uh, Jeff Curry, uh, because uh, you know this is a serious topic, but you're also, uh, you know, you're a positive person. You're trying to have fun with it. Tell us about uh, the, the birthday cake and how you got the word out in this video on your website. So uh, my birthday was at the end of July, and I knew that I was going to use that day to get the message out and really make this more public. So I uh, went over to my brother and sister-in-law's house and, and set up a, a birthday cake made out of kidney cans of kidney beans, <laughs> um, and then just kind of sat down and, and spilled the tea on what exactly was going on in my life. And, you know, I, I always say, if you can't love it or laugh at it, leave it alone. And while this is very serious, you, you still have to be able to, to humanize it um, and, and show other folks that, you know, if they're in these situations, there's there's no shame in, in coming out and, and telling your truth and asking for help, because that's essentially what this is all about. And uh, again, it's just been overwhelming to hear the support from folks uh, in response to that. I, that video, I think, has over, you know, 30,000 views and and hundreds of shares. And, you know, I, I know it's made its way all around. So it, it's, it's been awesome. Mm. What have you been hearing from community members, uh, Jeff Curry? I know you just did an event at Geisler's uh, supermarket, again, to get the word out. Do people know about live donation? Um, it, it, not to the extent, obviously, that they do now. Um, I think a lot of folks there, there's, there's always a lot of questions and concerns, um, particularly for the person who's going to potentially be that donor. Um, and, and what's great about the team over at Hartford Hospital is they don't really want to burden you too much with having to answer a lot of those questions. So, um, you know, being able to simply hand over information and contact for the folks at Hartford Hospital to have them be able to, you know, help people talk through it and, and make the decision as to whether this is right for them, because it's not going to be right for everyone. And and I said that to my friends, like, I don't begrudge anyone who isn't, you know, who doesn't, who isn't stepping forward to do this. It's one thing when I, you know, have to ask for $5 donations for a campaign. It's another thing that I'm asking for a part of your body. So mm -hmm. I, I can understand why some folks might be a little hesitant um, to to uh, to want to move forward with something like this. Mm 
And Jeff, what is the timeline? Again, you're getting the word out. People should sign up to become live donors. You may not find the perfect match right away, but you might be helping other people find matches who are on this waiting list. Yeah, and to that point exactly, I actually spoke with a member of the team yesterday, and there was apparently a family who I've never met. They've never met me. Um, They caught wind of the story, and apparently they had a family member pass at the end of last week. After hearing the story, called up and actually wanted to give have those kidneys donated to me. Um, and uh, unfortunately I'm not, I'm not listed yet. I I have one more appointment to go. Um, so they, they passed on that, but they were able to actually speak with a family and those kidneys went to two other people. And so it's, it's just absolutely amazing to be able to hear that what we are all collectively doing to help get this message out is truly helping to save people's lives. And, and that's what this is all about. Mm. And when it comes to the timeline for you, again, you want to avoid dialysis because you're in stage five kidney failure, you know, hoping to have a match before the end of the year. What are they what are they telling you, Jeff, in terms of your timeline? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is, is up to the donor. Um, it's all going to be done around their schedule. Um, mm-hmm. But I think with the the amount of people who are currently working their way through the process, um, you know, I, I think I'm going to be fortunate that we we may see a few good matches. And I, if it was up to me, I'd love to have this all <laughs> wrapped up by the end of the year. But uh, it, it's not uh, it's not going to be completely up to me. But fingers crossed and just kind of throwing that good juju out into the universe. Mm-hmm. CJ Zenzik, again, the nurse manager for Kidney Transplant Services at Hartford Hospital. For listeners who are interested in learning how to sign up, how do they get in touch with you? What are, what's the process? Probably the easiest way, um, they could either go on our website or just give us a telephone call. You know, they can call our center, have have a message left for our living donor coordinator team, and they will reach out back to that patient and, and set up a telephone interview. And you can go to getjeffakidney.com, I believe, uh, for that contact information. I want to thank uh, CJ Zenzik for joining us from Hartford Hospital. And Representative Jeff Curry, we thank you for telling us uh, your story. Uh, anything else that you wanted to, to say about this, this journey that you're on this year? No, I just want to thank you and thank everybody else who really has taken the time to help promote um, this message and, and, and the call to action for me and for all the other folks on this list. So hopefully we can clear that list and everyone, again, is willing to share their spare. Mm. Representative Curry, thanks so much. We, we wish you luck uh, in, in your journey to find a living donor. Thank you very much, Lucy. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to learn more about pair donations or kidney swaps. Now, have you thought about donating a kidney? What questions do you have? A transplant surgeon will be joining us, and you can too. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. When you get a new driver's license, you can choose to be an organ donor when you pass away, but you can also choose to be a living donor. 
Have you donated a kidney or know someone who's benefited from a living donation? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us now uh, from Yale University Studios is Dr. Peter Yu. He's Associate Professor of Surgery. He's a transplant surgeon and the Program Director of Yale Surgical Residency. Dr. Yu, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Uh, we heard a little bit of Representative Jeff Curry's story to find a living donor. You're a transplant surgeon, so you're interacting with patients, but also donors who are making this generous choice. Uh, talk us through some of the, the, the people that, that are coming to you uh, that have made this decision. Uh, what kind of people are they? Well, it, well, I'll say that they're not just coming to me. They come to Yale for the uh, Center for Living Donation. They uh, meet our director of the kidney transplant services named Sanjay Kulkarni. They meet a range of other people, um, and it's a, big, it's a big enterprise on our end. So I'd hate to have it be portrayed that it's any one individual because it certainly is not. Now, in it's that a regard, full team. It's, a, it's a big mm -hmm. team. Uh, and with regard to what kinds of people are coming forward, you know, it, it really depends on the circumstances by which they became aware of kidney donation. For some people, they've been following the kidney health journey or the kidney illness journey of a family member or a friend, and they've been watching them go from a first diagnosis through the various stages of kidney failure onto end stage, where they become aware that uh, a transplant is going to be necessary, and the discussion about donation becomes uh, quite imminent. For others, uh, they hear about it through stories like uh, Representative Curry's. Uh, they see it on billboards. They hear about it on TV. You know, some of it have even come to us after a particularly compelling episode of Grey's Anatomy. So mm -hmm. by the circumstances by which people come to this very notion of kidney donation really tells us about, you know, the sort of human, human, humanitarian, humanistic aspects that motivate them to, um, to make that extraordinary gift of kidney donation. I started the show citing this statistic that there are more than 100,000 Americans on a waiting list for a life-saving organ. When we think about a kidney transplant, uh, Peter, um, how many of them are done a year? So I think the last year um, was the greatest number of kidney transplants ever performed in the United States, and it was somewhere in the range of about 22 or 23,000 kidney transplants that got done in all 50 states. Mm. And so why, why uh, the increase in kidney transplants? Is it because people are getting the word out or what we wanted to really talk to you about was this idea of paired uh, donations or these kidney swaps uh, that, are, that are becoming uh, more common? Well, it's, it's, a, it's both a good news and a bad news story. I think that uh, our ability to safely do transplants uh, increases every year with newer technologies, better medications, a better understanding of which patients do well and which patients don't do well with transplants, and how to use the, the, the resources that are available to us to their maximal extent. Um, and that's the good news side of things. The bad news side of things is that there are more patients who are ill, right? Mm -hmm. And as with every other health story that we talk about, whether it's cancer or any other health, uh, health issue that plagues our country, the uh, problem with the aging population, uh, with the national uh, epidemic and uh, obesity leading to high blood pressure and diabetes, these all lead to kidney troubles. And so the population of people in our country with kidney troubles is ever increasing because of these other antecedent problems. So tell us more about paired exchanges. When someone steps forward and wants to donate a kidney, uh, the fact that it, it may not necessarily be a good match for uh, a loved one, but they can also help someone else. Right. Um, and I, I think it's important to say that 
Um, the, the, the most straightforward situation is that when someone has an intended recipient, they walk into the hospital with that, with that recipient in mind and we proceed with that transplant. Um, but if that intended recipient is for whatever reason incompatible, um, and we can discuss that momentarily, uh, then we do have other options. I think that, uh, you know, years ago, it would have been the case that if someone showed up and they were incompatible, um, then they would have been, uh, you know, sort of sent on their way and told to go keep on looking for a new donor. But beginning with some uh, is initial thought experiments that, that took place in South Korea before Y2K and then continued on uh, through the 2000s here in the U.S. with some notable uh, successes before 2010, um, the idea of taking those patients who came to the transplant center with an incompatible donor and sort of putting them into a database and saying, hmm, now let's use some hypothetical names. The Chans showed up and Mr. Chan wants to donate to Mrs. Chan. Um, the Sanchez's showed up. Mr. Sanchez wants to donate to Mrs. Sanchez, but neither neither are the Chans compatible with one another. Uh, you know, insert your uh, corny marriage joke here. Nor is the are the Sanchez's compatible with one another. And then you know the Sanchez's donate to the Chans, and the Chans donate to the Sanchez's. Um, and then everybody walks away happy, though they didn't uh, walk away from the party with the person they showed up to the party with. Um, and then it gets even more complicated because you can have a third pair and then a fourth pair and so on. And then so the, the opportunities to, um, to make these sorts of matches gets ever easier the greater the database of incompatibles is. So the more pairs we have in, in the potential mix, uh, the more likely it is we can find a new incompatible pair, another pair to swap with. So you're using computer programs, but also just old-fashioned paper to map out these matches, Peter? Yeah, if, if I can just say, God bless our nurse coordinator <laughs> in, this, in, in, in this enterprise. Her name is Grace Regala. She's been our partner and a, and a real leader in this area for years now. Uh, Grace uh, and her partner, Joyce, they, they would sit with, uh, you know, legal pads, drawing with whiteboards, you know, lines this way, that way, erase it, throw it out, do it again, and over and over and over before the software became robust enough to really handle what we were doing. You can join our conversation today as, again, we talk with Dr. Peter Yu. He's a transplant surgeon. We're learning more about living donors. Also, these paired exchanges or kidney swaps. Is this something that you've heard about? Are you considering it, thinking about it? You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. When we talk about these exchanges, there was a pretty large-scale exchange that you were involved in back in 2017 at Yale New Haven where uh, your team had an 18-person swap, uh, exchanging nine kidney kidneys total. Tell us about uh, how that all came to be. Well, it's, it's a really extraordinary story. And again, uh, Grace Regala, our nurse coordinator in this area, deserves quite a bit of the credit, though. Um, it is that huge team that put the work together. Um, you know, there were a number of patients who were in our incompatible list uh, who had donors who were quite suitable to donate, but just not to them. Um, and as we were looking at them, uh, we, we couldn't quite put the puzzle together until one person uh, came forward with a non-directed donation. She came forward and said, look, I've got a kidney. I'd love to do this. I would love to donate to somebody on your list. Can I make this happen? And what we did was we had her donate to one pair, then that pair donated to the next, and then so on and so forth down the road. Um, and, and in fact, a few compatible pairs entered into our exchange in that situation where they could have just uh, kept their kidneys to themselves, but instead they decided to amplify the effect of their, tr of their donation by participating in the exchange. 
And then the kidneys went down the row, you know, from one pair to the next. Many, many patients from Connecticut, a few from New York and Florida. I think one of our donors was from Florida. Um, and all the way down the row uh, until the 18th patient, the, uh, the 18th person was transplanted. So nine kidneys went down the row, 18 patients involved uh, over the course of several weeks. It was a really fun project, I, gotta t- I have to tell you. It was stressful, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. It sounds like it would be pretty stressful. How do you coordinate that kind of thing? Well, I'll tell you, you know, when we first started this, um, um, I came I came to Yale as a member of the faculty soon after the Parrot Exchange had started at Yale. And, and for every single one, it was weeks of preparation. Again, that whiteboard and protocols and figuring out which patients will be rolling in which hallways and things like that. Um, I, I'll tell you that by now, um, when we do one of these exchanges, which we just did a few weeks ago, you know, and we, uh, it's it's pretty straightforward now. Uh, the team's got it down. Uh, it's a, it's just another day of business when we do one of these exchanges at this point. Again, you can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Uh, one of the people that participated in that 18-person exchange at Yale New Haven Hospital back in 2017 was Devin Greenwood. She's a kidney donor, and she's on the phone with us now. Devin, welcome to our show. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. So tell us a little bit about your story. How did you become a kidney donor? Um, well, in 2016, my husband, Bill, was diagnosed in stage four kidney failure. He has polycystic kidney disease, which is a hereditary disease. Um, we had known that this was going to happen eventually, but we didn't really plan on it happening that soon because he was extremely healthy. Um, but when we found that out, I started doing my research and found out he had only two options. He could get a deceased kidney, and the wait back then was about five to seven years, and I think it's now up to like 10 years. Um, or we could find him a living donor. Um, at that time, I realized I was not compatible because I'm A positive and he is O negative. And he had no family members who were eligible because of the PKD. Um, his brother has PKD. His, our, both of our daughters have PKD, and with me not being a candidate, I did a little more research and found out about exchanges and found that if I was willing to donate a kidney to somebody else, then he could get a kidney. So that was the avenue we pursued when he went in in August of 2016 for his evaluation to be put on the transplant list. I told them I wanted to be tested, and that's how we got started. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Yu, we wanted to talk more about matches. Uh, we heard Devin say that uh, she and her husband had different blood types, uh, so they weren't able to be a, a match. But tell us more about the compatibility that donors need to have. Sure. It's, a, it's an interesting and complicated topic. And, um, you know, there is some risk that we get a little bit out into the weeds and pedantic mm-hmm. with the science of it. But keeping things sort of appropriate for the air, you know, um, First, we think about blood types and the A, B, O blood types that, that I think people are familiar with. But there are other factors in the blood that will confer compatibility, things that identify ourselves um, as ourselves so that we can tell ourselves from invading fungi, bacteria, and viruses. Um, and then there are other factors of compatibility that might not be as apparent to the people uh, who are listening to the show t- today because things like the size of the donor and the recipient uh, are, are important 
the age differences. Um, and certainly sometimes function of the kidney is also important because how much function you have is, is um, in, in the donor's kidney will affect how much the recipient has after the transplant. So there are a variety of other factors that go into the considerations of compatibility beyond the blood types, though blood types are a hard stop. Incompatible is incompatible in almost all circumstances. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, Devin, uh, going back to you, uh, when uh, you found out that you were uh, incompatible, but you're still able to help others with your kidney donation, talk us through the process, because not everybody would want to think about uh, having to you know, do an operation uh, to uh, donate a kidney or, or a liver. Uh, what was it like? Um, I had no qualms or hesitations about donating as part of an exchange. Um, loaded with the information that I had found that I knew was his only option to get a kidney. Um, so I was perfectly willing to do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that my recipient is still doing very well too. So it's a win-win situation when you're helping really two people. I help my recipient and I help my husband. So that's a really good scenario. But for you personally, what was it like to go through the procedure, recovery? Uh, not too bad. Um, not as bad as I expected. Honestly, I have never had a major surgery, so this was my first. And um, my recovery time, I feel, was pretty good. We, uh, we both went home together, which was interesting. Um, we had some help at home, but... Um, Within about a week, we were pretty much able to do what we needed to do on our own, other than, you know, I had to still drive Bill to his regular appointments. I was back at work in three and a half weeks. Um, very little. I did, wasn't on any pain medication at that time, which some people are, some people aren't. It's all individual. Everybody reacts differently to the situation. But um, overall, I'd have to say the experience was pretty good for a major surgery. Mm. That's good to hear, uh, Dr. Peter Yu. So can you talk a little bit more about uh, when if somebody's interested in donating a kidney, it doesn't have to, it's not a super invasive surgery? That's, that's right. Well, I mean, it, it, it's still major surgery, right? There's no, way around, uh, there's no way around the reality that it's one of your major organs and it has to be removed from your body. Mm -hmm. um, uh, by the way, hi, Ms. Greenwood. I, I hope you and Bill are doing well. It's been a few it's been a few years since I last saw you. And it's glad I'm really glad to hear that you're doing well. Thank but you. incidentally, uh, that's incidental to the discussion, I suppose. Um, with regard to the operation itself, you know, um, our team does them entirely laparoscopically using a very minimally invasive approach, um, and so uh, you, the patient is left with a few small incisions. Um, which are used for microscopic instruments, and then are, and then a small um, incision right above the pubic hair where a C-section would have been. So overall, it's a it's a it's a minimally invasive approach. Uh, the operation recovery, I think most of our patients would say that it's it was f far less problematic than they thought it was going to be. Um, and patients are up and walking the night of surgery. In some cases, they go home the following day. In most cases, they spend two nights in the hospital. Wow. Devin, did you want to add something? No, I was just going to say that the, the surgery scars from three years ago, they're primarily gone um, as far as any residual after effect. You might not even know you had surgery, basically. Mm -hmm.
Today we're talking about living donors, again, uh, people who are willing to donate a kidney. Uh, with us again is Dr. Peter Yu uh, from Yale and also Devin Greenwood, who participated in an 18 patient exchange at Yale New Haven Hospital back in 2017. You can join us, 888-720-9677. Anne's calling in. and what's your question or comment? Uh, hello. Thank you so much for taking my call. Husband and I participated in the living donor um, experience at Yale in 2018, and I just want to say we found everyone very professional. Um, we went in being a little reserved, and we came out um, very enthusiastic. Um, we went through the process. It was very comprehensive. Um, but then at the end, everything turned and um, it has caused me to really think about the ethics of hospitals deselecting patients to maintain their high success rate. And the reason I say this is because, um, quite honestly, a test was um, mandated for my husband that three of his physicians said was high risk and could result in stroke, heart attack, or even death, and advised against it. So um, we were deselected based on that, and it really left me with many unanswered questions. And when honestly, when I reflect on the experience, I now have a different interpretation of the success factors at the various hospitals because if deselection is so prominent at these high success rate factors, is that, is that the physician's code being practiced? Mm. It's a uh, very P difficult question, I know, but it, mm. it, it has left me with many unanswered questions and actually a lower opinion of uh, the Living Transplant Center mm. at Yale. Well, Anne, let me get Dr. Peter Yu uh, to respond. Uh, Dr. Peter Yu, uh, how do you respond to Anne about this question about uh, who is eligible uh, for the live donor uh, program? What a challenging situation. And one, you know, we always aim to uh, avoid, you know, certainly for the caller, if there are unanswered questions, that's a situation that we can always do better at. And I encourage you to get in touch with your kidney team with us at the transplant center or with your husband's nephrologist to have those questions answered. That must be uh, an unpleasant feeling, and I, I, would, I wouldn't want that for any one of our patients. But with regard to selecting patients, you know, it's our, our, our intention, our hope is to get as many patients through the process safely as we possibly can. We have reciprocal responsibilities, both to the patients we serve, as well as to being good stewards of the public good, the public good of of the organ, the donated organ pool, and maintaining also the safety of the donors as well. So the risks that we put everybody through have to be matched in some context to the potential benefit and the benefit risk ratio um, that is experienced by the recipient. So um, every situation is different. Um, it sounds like the caller had an, uh, an unfortunate experience. And that said, um, you know, the, I think that what I, I hope our listeners take away from the conversation is that every situation is a little bit different, 
but that we have quite a few res responsibilities to balance in how we serve our community, how we serve each, an indivi each individual patient, as well as how we protect the pro public good of donated organs and the safety of our donors. Hmm. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Devin, how is your husband uh, doing today now that he's had this uh, transplant uh, for uh, a few years now? Three years, yeah. He's doing great. Um, he was back at work pretty quickly. Don't listen, Dr. Yu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I didn't he, expect anything else. Yeah, knowing him. He, he's in construction, so he is a very physical job, and he has done great. He has no issues. As a matter of fact, he was just at Yale uh, last Friday for a three-month checkup, and he's doing beautifully. Mm, that's good to hear. Uh, Reverend Mark Hughes is calling in from Old Lyme. Uh, Mark, you're on the show. Hi, it's Mark Robinson, uh, the Reverend Mark Robinson calling from Old Lyme, and I just want to extol the uh, talents and wisdom of the team at Yale who transplanted me uh, in a uh, nine-person transplant in uh, June of 16. Um, and the uh, preparation work uh, prior to the transplant, the psychological, emotional, psycho-religious uh, preparation was extraordinary, as was the follow-up. Some challenges uh, that any transplantee will face are the, uh, pro, uh, are the uh, acquiring a, a donor, and um, I was blessed to find a former parishioner's uh, daughter who gave me her kidney. Uh, I didn't receive her kidney. I received another one because they did such a fine job in, in matching kidney, kidneys that were appropriate for the individual. Not all, don not all donors give kidneys to their donee. So thank you, Dr. Yu, and thank you, team at Yale. I um, am ever grateful. I'm alive. I'm climbing mountains. I'm riding my bike. I'm uh, 63 years old and um, am ever grateful with this uh, switch to new life. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, uh, Reverend Mark Robinson. Uh, Dr. Yu. Case very well. And I will tell you that just weeks after uh, Reverend Robinson's transplant, I bumped into him in the cafeteria at Yale, um, and I didn't recognize him. He was in his, uh, in his, uh, his um, religious collar. I, I'm not really sure how to refer to it, but he was dressed as he would be for his, for his profession. Um, and he was visiting one of his parishioners who had recently had, had surgery, um, and he looked like he'd never been sick a minute of his life. And, and unfortunately, I think that that was the last time I, I got to see him. Um, uh, but it was social, and uh, what, what it reminded me was that the experience is really to restore life to these individuals, right? Um, and for a, for a member of the clergy to be able to uh, attend to a member of his parish in the hospital and provide religious services for that individual is, you know, that's Reverend Robinson living his life. That's him doing his thing. And um, it's extraordinarily gratifying to be able to have overcome the logistical and technical challenges of incompatible transplants and finding somebody and putting them through the swab and all the, all the exigencies of a nine-way transplant mm -hmm. um, to have Reverend Robinson living his life, doing his thing, you know, kayaking, playing croquet, and attending to his flock. 
Well, we want to thank Devin Greenwood, who also was on the phone with us. Uh, she's a kidney donor who participated in this 18 patient exchange back in 2017. Devin, thank you. We're glad to hear that you, your husband, and the person who received your kidney is doing well today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Dr. Peter Yu, Associate Professor of Surgery and a Transplant Surgeon, will stay with us as we continue to talk about living donors. Have you thought about donating a kidney? Have you donated? You can join us, 888-720-9677. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're learning about kidney swaps or paired kidney exchanges with transplant surgeon Dr. Peter Yu, Associate Professor of Surgery uh, at and the Program Director of Yale Surgical Residency. Uh, Suzanne's calling in from Windsor. Uh, Suzanne, uh, thank you for calling in. You are very welcome. I'm happy to do this. So I understand that you received a kidney. I did three years ago, August 15th. I received a kidney at Yale with great, great care and great attention and skill from the team. My donor I had met 20 years, 25 years ago when I was a leader, on a leadership team in a parish. My donor was 70 years old at the time. And today, sorry, I'm a little emotional, but I am on the way to play golf with her for the first time. And she's a good golfer, and I'm hoping that I'm going to pick up her skills by osmosis after having received her kidney. <laughs> well, Suzanne, that's a, a wonderful story that, that you're able to receive a kidney, but also you have a new friendship. Uh, and thank you uh, for calling in. Uh, also calling in right now is State Representative Ann Hughes from Easton. Representative Hughes, go ahead. Hi. Um, I'm so excited to um, just offer that I'm a kidney donor five years um, uh, proud, I suppose, and uh, to urge all our listeners to really consider um, applying to be a living kidney donor and um, to sign up for the match uh, program if if they uh, if they can, because they will find a match if you're eligible. And you go through a very very extensive physical, blood work, MRI, CAT scan, EKG, stress test, urinalysis to really really be sure that there's uh, very little likelihood that um, the donor will need that second kidney sometime in the future. So um, you get an extra uh, vetting, comprehensive, thorough, physical, so that uh, that is like, you know, a bonus. And mm -hmm. um, I went home a week after the transplant. I uh, was back to work in two weeks. Uh, I was only on pain meds like one, one maybe two days. And, uh, yeah, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. You mm -hmm. save a life, and all the rest is gravy. Well, thank you, Representative Hughes, for calling in and sharing a little bit of your experience. Uh, Peter Yu, we just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, someone on Facebook asked uh, they want to be able to donate, but they've had cancer. Is that a possibility for them? Well, you know, I think that there are so many individual variables that affect someone's ability to donate. And every situation is unique. So I would say that if, if anybody wishes to be evaluated to be a donor, 
um, you know, regardless of what their circumstances are, whether they believe that their their health history or their weight or their personal habits or whatever it is uh, might affect their ability to donate, you know, um, let's just let the team do the work. And if you're interested in donating, call the Center for Living Donation at Yale um, or at your local transplant center, wherever you choose to receive your care. Um, and have the team work with you to see if there is a way for you to safely donate your kidney and to give that gift of life to a, a potential recipient. Mm. And we'll be sure to share out information uh, to uh, your program uh, at Yale New Haven Hospital. Uh, we'll tweet it out at where we live. Another real quick question for you, Dr. Peter Yu, um, a listener from Greenwich wants to know, uh, they want to be able to donate their organs upon death and wants to know how long are organs viable for transplant after death? Um, well, the most important thing there, of course, to do is to uh, make sure that it's so marked on your driver's license and to have had that conversation with your family um, so that your wishes upon your death are known. Um, how long are organs viable depends on for which purpose and for which organ. You know, for um, for transplant, you know, hearts generally go very are used very quickly. So are young, so are lungs, liver. We have a little bit more time in kidneys. We try to get done within 24 hours of donation. Um, but there are other tissues and other organs that get donated for not only transplantation, but also for other scientific purposes, for research and things like that, so that there are many purposes for which uh, anatomic donations and organ donation can be useful in, in addition to the purpose of transplantation. So in each circumstance, it's a little bit different, but there is a sort of a range. Well, we want to thank Dr. Peter Yu again, Associate Professor of Surgery, also a transplant surgeon. Thank you so much for your time today, joining us from the studios at Yale University. Dr. What Yu, a pleasure thanks. to be here with you. And also today's show, produced by Carmen Baskoff. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Learn more about the show. You can download and listen to where we live at any time on your favorite podcast app. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>